Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Um, yeah, my name's Christu. I am married to Selen. I have a little baby called Hazel Grace, and... Um, I'm not going to lie to you, this morning's sermon is going to be a bit of a downer. So I'm trying to build it up so that we really feel together the, the weightiness of it, but then ultimately lead us to a place of peace. Um, I'll give you the, the spoiler. At the end of the sermon, I want us to walk away with uh, two... Two things that Paul refers to in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of disunity, in the midst of anxiety, there is a God of peace that we can turn to. And there is peace from God that we can tap into. So in the midst of disunity, in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of disagreements, ultimately I want us to leave with the peace of God and the knowledge that we can get the peace of God and the, the God of peace to be with us and to guard our hearts and our minds. So let me pray for us and then we'll start just digging into this quite depressing test, text, to be honest. Father, I pray that you would help me uh, to expound this text well. I pray that it would be an encouragement to us to know that even though we are broken, you are the one that can fix things. You are the one that has made all things new. You are the one that can fill us with your spirit to restore brokenness, Lord. So be with us. Help us to focus. Help us to not be distracted by other things. Um, yeah, help us to just be here in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So when you go to a hospital, it's never a pleasant experience. I can't think of anyone here who goes to a hospital for fun. They were like, hey, what are we going to do Friday night? I don't know. Let's go to Charlotte McClerke, if I said that right. Um, Let's go to a hospital and just experience it, you know, just go have a nice time. No one says that. Like when we go to the hospital, it's usually a somber experience it's riddled with pain, babies are crying in the pediatric ward, there's people who are dying, there's people who are struggling, people who need to be helped, there's doctors that are extremely tired. It's just an overall bad situation. And that is what we are finding in this text today. We are finding a broken situation. We are finding a situation where People in the church are fighting. Now, if you think that the church is a happy, clappy place, full of people where we are all time, always just happy, you are gravely mistaken. It's either you are a brand new believer and you're so fired up by your love for Christ and you just want to learn more and grow, 
or you've never served in the church. You know, when, when you're serving with the kids, or you're serving in the music ministry, you're serving with the sound, you're serving with setup, like, there will always be people who disagree. There will always be people who, who feel like this is how we should do it. And people are like, no, but this is how we should do it. Like, this is how loud the volume should be. No, no, this is what the background should be. Like, this is how a PowerPoint should be. No, this is, you know, there'll always be differences of opinion. And as a result of that, when that is not dealt with biblically and in a godly manner, that can escalate to further disunity. Because what do we do when... When we feel, we feel unheard and we feel like our opinion wasn't taken seriously, sometimes we turn to gossip and we're like, you know what, you know, I suggested this and I thought it was a really good idea. And they said no. They just said no. Can you believe that? And then someone else joins your group and then like, now you're starting to like, talk or discuss, but actually we're gossiping about something and next thing you start to, to garner a following of people who believe that this is how we should do things in this church. And the people on the other side are like, yeah, I can't believe they reacted so emotionally. All I said was this, this, and this. And now all of a sudden they started a team over there. They even started a WhatsApp group to start talking about, you know, things that we can do better, you know. But no one's coming to us and saying, you know, it's just... That is the situation we find ourselves in. And it's not baby Christians. So I agree that sometimes baby Christians, they are still getting used to what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to live out the Christian life? And there can be a lot of immaturity. And there often is. But the people we are talking about this morning are mature believers. Yodia and Syntyche are mature believers. The letter that we have in front of us here, the Paul's letter to the Philippians, um, this is 10 years after the, the church has been planted. So Red Door is now approximately a year old. So imagine 10 years from now when we are established, there's people who are fighting amongst one another in the church and not the new people who just came in and joined the people who started the thing the originals the ogs are fighting with each other and they are they are creating rifts they're creating teams that ultimately are uh, against one another and the result that this has is that it takes away from the focus of advancing the gospel. Why are we here together? Why do we meet together on a Sunday, every Sunday? Why do billions of people all over the world meet together right now, depending on the time zone, meet together right now to sit under God's Word, to sing together? Why? We are to a large extent, a mission base where we are going to come together once a week to be encouraged, to be motivated, 
to love one another, to catch up with one another. And it's a small gathering and it doesn't take long. It's like three or four hours. If you take that in terms of the whole week, it's not long. But we are using this time to equip us as the body of believers, to equip us as the church, to go do ministry, missions, to love people outside of the church the whole week. We are not here as an end in of itself. This gathering we are here is a means to an end. It's a means to gather together in order to advance the gospel, advance the kingdom. So as soon as there is massive disunity amongst us as a church family, the ministry outside is damaged. Division inside of the church leads to a lack of productivity and effectiveness outside of the church. And that is our goal. One reason why I strongly dislike, and this is my own opinion, you can have your own opinions, one reason I strongly dislike churches who encourage their people to dress up on Sundays, you know, suits and ties and formal dresses and hats and that used to be a very cultural thing, it used to be very popular, still is in, in, in a lot of spheres of society. One of the reasons I strongly dislike it is because it subconsciously communicates that when we come to this little gathering of ours once a week, you need to have your stuff together. You need to push away all your issues and you need to be polished. Put on your nice shoes, put on the tie, put on the jacket, put gel in your hair, put on the nice dress, put on the makeup, and come show to us that you are okay. You're not only okay, you're amazing. When in fact, none of us are amazing. If you knew some of the things that goes on in some of our minds, and in some of our lives, you would not think these are a really great bunch of people. No. Remember, go back to the hospital analogy. This is like a hospital filled with broken people. This is not a museum filled with amazing, awesome, fixed, figured out people. And that is what we find in this passage today. Yodia and Syntyche have issues. They are mature believers who have issues, which implies that you, whether mature or immature, have issues. Some of you have broken relationships with your parents. Some of you have broken relationships with your siblings. Some of you have been kicked out of your friendship group. Some of you have been ostracized. Some of you are in poor health. Some of you are... There's just a lot of brokenness. Yet, if we come to this gathering and proclaim 
consciously or subconsciously, that I am okay. Act like I didn't try to kill myself last night. Act like my, my marriage isn't falling apart. Act like I didn't just cheat on a test last week. Act like I didn't steal time and resources from my company. If you are just here thinking that everything's okay, and that is, it, it happens so easily. You don't know me. I don't know you. And that is why it's so important for us to get plugged into the structures of the church missional communities and DNA groups where we can actually get into each other's lives. I'll share a personal story to kind of illustrate it. The person you see here in front of you today might look all sorted out and okay. You'd be like, hey, this guy preaches from time to time. You know, they must think he's not that bad. You know, they trust him enough to speak and share God's word in front of everyone. He probably leads a, a Bible study. He, he, he is married. He has a child. Like, everything must look amazing. That guy's probably okay. But the Christu that stands in front of you here today is not, I promise you, is not the Christu of 15 years ago. I grew up, unfortunately, quite small. Uh, I developed quite late. So I, I had this defense mechanism of, because I was being bullied at school and, and quite of, for some reason, big kids bullied smaller kids. I mean, like, that's not honorable in any way, but unfortunately it happens. So in order to try and avoid that, I developed a very sharp tongue, and I humiliated and insulted people and, and almost did like a, a surprise attack before they can attack me. You know, I would break people down, you know, be sarcastic. I would, I would humiliate them in front of everyone, big groups like, and in order for them to be so stunned and shocked that they can't come back, you know, and then I, I regularly did that and it, it was effective and I, I grew in that and I did it for years and years. And fast forward to my first year in university, the Lord Jesus grabbed me and he called me to himself. I gave my life to him. But all that didn't just go away. I can't even tell you the amount of times where I offended someone, I hurt someone, I said something I shouldn't have said. I said something in the way that hurt someone. I might have said something good, but I said it in a way that hurt someone. The amount of times that someone would call me, WhatsApp me, or, or tell me, uh, listen, Christu, can we talk? I'm like, uh, okay, about what? Why don't you talk now? Like, no, no, we, we, need to, we need to organize a coffee to talk. I'm like, oh, brother. You know, and then after a few times of you having this talk, where someone shares with you, like, listen, when you said that, that really hurt. The way you said that, that really offended people. All of a sudden, you're like, every time you now get the message or uh, someone says, hey, Itu, can we talk? All of a sudden, you start being very anxious. You're like, oh, brother, what did I do now? Like, what did I say this time? Like, oh, what did I do this time? 
To the point where sometimes I won't even sleep. You know, like, I'm like, if you're going to say, can we go have a talk? Can we just get it over as soon as possible? Don't say, can we have a talk on Wednesday when it's Sunday? Because now I'm not sleeping for two, three nights. You know, there's a lot of anxiety that builds up because now I'm like, okay, who did I offend? What did I say? How many people did it impact? Does everyone know about it? Is everyone talking about it? You know? And this is the person that stands in front of you right now. And as a result of all those talks from loving brothers and sisters who in a gentle and loving way corrected me, it was Proverbs 27 verse 17 in action. As iron sharpens iron, so one brother and sister sharpens another. I am a totally different person today. Because of those hard conversations. But left unchecked, disunity and disagreements spread like a virus throughout the whole community, throughout the whole church. Someone once explained it like in financial terms, to keep short accounts. So for instance, if you get a loan from the bank, you swipe your credit card, you, you buy a big screen TV for 10 grand. Now you have to pay it back over 72 months, monthly installments. And as you miss installments, the interest accru- accrues, and the, the 10,000 becomes 10,500, 11,000, 12,000. Next thing, you paying 25,000 for a 10,000 rand TV because you took so long to pay it off. The same thing is applicable for relationships. When there's conflict between us, there's emotional baggage, there's, there's, um, you've been offended, and then that almost like debt, it grows. And your feelings towards someone grows. And your, your anger towards someone grows. And the more you gossip and the more someone says, yeah, that's messed up. I can't believe they did that. It grows. And it continues to grow. But if we, as soon as it happens, immediately, as soon as possible, not like, hey, let's talk next week. Immediately, go and talk to that person and say, listen, can we talk? And for me, you know, all throughout my university career, that was like the sign that there's something serious up. To just, for someone to just come to me and say, can we talk? That meant there needs to be a serious conversation. And then once you have that serious conversation as soon as possible, very often you realize that, oh, it was a misunderstanding. Oh, I didn't see where you were coming from. Oh, I'm a, I apologize for, for that. You know, it can be sorted out immediately. And that, that offense doesn't grow and accumulate over time. That's the only way that we can really stop the virus of disunity in our church. Because I know that we are a bunch of sinners sitting here right now. Sinners saved by grace. Just because we are saved by grace doesn't mean we no longer sin. We are still selfish. We are still sinful. 
and we still have our own strong opinions, and we will want our own preferences met. So I can safely assume that there's some issues here between someone. I want to be for you like Paul was for the Philippian church, who said, I beg you, Yodia, I entreat with you, Syntyche, please be unified, be of one mind. Now, as I was studying this passage, I thought initially that, oh, this is a very strange passage. It's a small little passage where Paul names and shames two ladies, and then all of a sudden he just goes on and says a whole bunch of random helpful things for Christians. But then I went back and I reread the whole letter. So we've been preaching through the Philippians, um, the letter to the Philippians, and as I was reading through it, I started picking up a whole bunch of statements which shows that Paul had this Yodia and Syntyche division in mind the whole time. This is not just a summer thing, an out-of-the-blue thing. This has been coming. And the last chapter, the crescendo, is where Paul drops the bombshell. And he says, I've been talking about this unity this whole letter. But now let's get down to business. It's you. And it's you. And you are causing a lack of effectiveness in ministry. The kingdom is not growing because of you, Yodia. Because of you, Syntyche. He says in Philippians 1.27... I may only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Why would he say that? If they were already one in spirit, he'd be like, you know what? Yeah, you guys are doing a great job, one in spirit. But what I want you to really do is be one in spirit. No, the... It's more likely that he's saying these things because there's disunity. 2 verse 2. He says, Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Basically saying the same thing again. Repetition. 2 verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. What do you think caused the disunity? Maybe some people were counting themselves as better than other people. Maybe some people were being prideful. Maybe some people had selfish ambitions. The core of the letter, chapter 2, 5 to 11, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll, I'll, I'll refer to some of it. What Jesus did is He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, he humbled himself. Is it possible that Yodi and Syntyche were not humbling themselves, were being prideful, were not serving? They wanted the glory. They wanted to be up front. They wanted to be seen. It says, God, as a result of Christ humbling himself, 
God exalted him. <clears throat> Were they wanting the exaltation but not willing to humble themselves? 2 verse 14, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Obviously, they were grumbling and disputing. And this led to the disunity in the church. So what is Paul telling them to do? Well, first and foremost, what Paul does is he calls it out. When there's sin and disunity and we all just ignore it, it grows. It continues. But Paul calls it out. He says, in order for us to be more effective, this needs to stop now. Paul realizes that they need help. So he calls on a yoke fellow to help them. He says, I ask you also, true companion, true yoke fellow, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are on the book of life. So there he says, these women are Christians. Names are in the book of life. These women were with me, partnering with me in the gospel to plant this church and advance the gospel. Please, true companion, doesn't say who he is. There's a lot of speculation over who he could have been. But clearly he's saying, someone that everyone knows who it is, he's saying, please, they need help. There's a deadlock. There's a disunity. There's a fight. There's an argument. There's clearly no solution coming. Please, step in. You need to step in. Paul reminds them that they have the same mission. Paul reminds them that they are part of the same family of God. And Paul calls people to step in. If you have an argument or a disagreement with someone whether it's in your family, whether it's in the church, whether it's in your friendship group. Deal with it as soon as possible. Don't let it grow. If you feel like you can't do it by yourself, get someone to help, to mediate. Ask someone, listen, <clears throat> I have an issue with this person. They've been offending me now every week by what they say. I don't know if they know, but there's, I have serious bitterness towards them because they keep on doing this. Can you please help mediate? This is not a small matter. This is a massive matter. The reason I say that is because of Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19. There are six things, the passage says, that the Lord hates. Okay, let that sink in. There are six things that the Lord hates. 
But the seventh is an abomination to him. Okay, here's the list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. Then number seven. One who sows discord among brothers and sisters. Can you feel how serious this is? If God says, there's six things I hate, and a seventh that is an abomination to me, it's when people that I love in my family deliberately causes dissension amongst one another. When they cause discord among one another. Psalm 133 verse 1 gives a further explanation of what God loves and desires. He says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. How amazing is it, and we know it. I'm not saying it and you're like, well, I don't know, is it true? I don't know. We all instinctively know it. When we are close to our DNA group, we are close to our friendship group, when we are close to our family and there's no drama, and we just enjoy each other's company, there's peace, there's unity, there's oneness. We love spending time with each other. We enjoy our time together. We rejoice in it. But as soon as there's drama, that's when life becomes hard. That's when you're like, um, sure, I don't think I'm going to go to that party because so-and-so will be there. Oh, I don't know, I'm going to go to church today. I heard that so-and-so will be there. Oh, I don't think I'm going to go to DNA group. You know, last time so-and-so did this and this. And you know what? I actually don't even want to go anymore. And it escalates to a point where, you know what? I don't actually want to be in this church. I'm going to go to another church. These people are messed up. But like someone once said, there's no perfect church. And if you find one, as soon as you join it, it will stop being perfect. Because the people who make up the body of Christ are sinful. We will sin against one another. We will offend one another. We are infinitely more messed up than we can ever imagine. But we are also infinitely more loved than we can ever dream of. Let that sink in. Even with your messed upness, Jesus loves you. God the Father loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you on the cross. He has His arms open, ready to hug you at any moment, to embrace you, to love you, to forgive you. All we have to say is, Ah, oh, sorry Lord, I did it again. And your sins have already been paid for by Jesus on the cross. God 
longs for unity among his children. I don't know if you have siblings or cousins, but the family unit is quite a tense place if you and your sibling is fighting or your children are fighting. Supper at the dinner table all of a sudden becomes awkward. Or they say, I'm going to eat in my room. And then because we want to just avoid it, we're just like, okay, it's fine. Let everyone just do their own thing. Like, let's just let the storm blow over. The storm never blows over, does it? It only increases. And that's where we need to step in. As Paul says, step in and speak into the situation. Have that conversation. And say, let's be reconciled. We long to be unified. We long to have the peace in the house. And the same way Paul was saying, in this house where we are a family of believers, let's have peace. There hasn't been peace for a while now. Yodi and Syntyche has been causing havoc. But God loves them too. God loves you. And God loves the whole family. Let's be unified once more. One of my previous employers told me, and this is not from the Bible, but I thought it was amazing wisdom. And seeing that she was created in the image of God, I thought that this wisdom is clearly from God. But she said, let us agree to disagree agreeably. Does that make sense? Let us come together as a family and agree that there will be disagreement because we are different. But let's do it in an agreeable fashion. Let's not cut each other out of our lives because they don't believe exactly what you believe. Let's not cancel someone because they have an opinion that we don't agree with or vibe with. But let's strive for unity. And Paul gives a few tips in the, in the following verses, as I'll wrap up here. He gives a few tips on how we can do that. So he's, he's dealt with the problem and said, massive disunity, deal with it. Okay, but now he's going to go and be like, okay, but how we do it? How do we actually do it? Verse 4 to 9. And to be honest, these verses have been taken out of context so many times that as I was studying and preparing for the sermon, I'm like, you know what? We can't just rip out these verses and act like it has nothing to do with Yudia and Syntyche and the divided church. There has to be some connection between what's being said here in these short, pithy statements and the conflict that we see with Yodia and Syntyche. Because in the past, you'll just rip it out and say, do not be anxious about anything, guys, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. Yeah, when you have finance issues, when you have an exam coming up, when your child is being disobedient, when you don't know where the next paycheck is going to come from, do not be anxious about anything. Now, I do believe that some of those principles can be applied. You know, some of you are like, 
Yeah. Did I put the oven off at home? And you're like, oh, do not be anxious about anything. But pray and pray. No. Even though there are principles that can be applied to those circumstances, we need to remember, first and foremost, this was written in the context of divided church, disunity in the church, two women and two factions fighting with one another. So as we read it, it's six little pithy statements that I will try to apply to the conflict in the church. And I would encourage us to not just take it as random, neutral statements that's good advice for Christians. Even though it is, but try to see it in the context. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I think how this relates to the conflict is that joy, as Paul has been saying, as I'm in prison, I'm rejoicing. So that means that when we go through a difficult circumstance or a difficult season, we are able to look at God and see that He is in control over all things and He Himself can work out something good out of this messed up situation. So I think what Paul is saying is, even though this is really odd, this is really awkward, and it needs to be dealt with, I still rejoice because I know something good can come out of this. Rejoice always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentle spirit be known to everyone. Obviously, he's saying, okay, you guys aren't exactly being gentle towards one another. Some of you guys aren't being reasonable. But that is what this needs for us to come together again. We need to be reasonable. We need to be gentle with one another. The third one, the Lord is at hand. Now, if you read through this, you're just like, this makes no sense. There's a whole bunch of commands, and then all of a sudden in the middle here, it's just like, the Lord is at hand. What does that even mean? What I think it means is that the Lord is near can either be seen in terms of nearness to us, so that in terms of this conflict, you have two factions fighting with one another, and, and we as a church realizes that we need to find reconciliation. We need to get them back together. We're going to need help. And that's what Paul is saying. The Lord is with us. He is the one that can help us bring back and restore unity between different factions. Another way that you can read it is also by saying the Lord is near, in the sense that the Lord's second coming is near, in the sense that it's about to happen. Which then gives the perspective, which Paul is saying, Yodia, Syntyche, the Lord is near. Remember, Jesus can come back at any moment. Do you want to Jesus to come back and be like, ah, Yodia, Syntyche, still? Like, come on. Do you want Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or, ach no, Yodia, really? The fact that Jesus could come back at any moment should inspire us to live a certain kind of life, a life of holiness and sanctification and glory to God. Then he goes on and says, do not be anxious about anything. I think I touched on it already. As soon as there's disunity amongst brothers and sisters, it leads automatically to anxiety. Automatically. 
If you know that you have issues with someone, and you know that they're going to be here this morning, best believe you're going to try and sit on the other side if they're sitting there. Best believe you're going to try and stand with a group and drink coffee that's nowhere close to that person. Try and avoid them at all costs. But that leads to anxiety. But you don't have to. What does Paul say we should do? Pray. Pray to the Lord. Ask God to give you a new perspective. That's a child of God. They are also part of God's family. Jesus also died for them. If I have vibes, bad vibes with them, that needs to be restored. And we need to pray for that. A lot of times, we automatically assume the worst of someone else. You know, they, they said that. And when they said that, they maliciously meant to harm my character and to tell everyone that I am the worst person. But as soon as you actually get together, you, you realize, oh, it was actually a misunderstanding. It wasn't what... The person never maliciously meant to harm you or hurt you or offend you. And in the cases when the person is actually maliciously trying to hurt, harm, and offend you, when we address that situation, I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts them that when they are deliberately trying to maliciously harm, offend, and hurt their brothers and sisters in Christ, that the, the Holy Spirit would convict them to repent. But in most cases, when we come together and we, we confront something, even if it's with a mediator, we're like, hey, can you, can you help me talk to Hendrik Willem? I, just, like, I can't, seem to, can't seem to get past the fact that he offended me so badly last week. Like, and then you go talk and then you realize, oh, it was a misunderstanding. Paul calls on the Philippian church to think differently. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is righteous, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think of such things. Don't let your mind be poisoned by the fact that you assume that he was malicious. He wants me to be in pain. He wants me to, to be offended. Remember, it's not only our own sinful desires that's causing this unity. It's also outside forces. The devil wants us to be in disagreement and disunity with one another. The devil doesn't want unity between us. Because the more unified we are in here, the more effective we are for the gospel and for the Lord out there. So the devil wants to sow seeds of division Everywhere, yeah, between us. You are unfortunately target number one for him. That's why all the more we need to put structures in place to as soon as we are offended, as soon as we are hurt, as soon as we are misunderstood, go to that person and talk to them. Resolve it, reconcile, ask for forgiveness, humble yourself. 
Look out for the interests of someone else more than your own interest. That's what the whole letter has been about. Because ultimately what Paul wants for them is peace. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And may the God of peace be with you. I'm going to end with just four questions. They should be up there. Four questions. Am I at odds with anyone in this church family? Ask yourself that. Am I at odds with anyone in this church family? If so, what do I need to get it resolved? Two. Do you have to lovingly confront someone? Do you know of something that needs to be addressed? Do you have to say to someone, can we talk? Three, do you need to ask someone to help mediate between you and someone regarding an issue which can't seem to be resolved? And then the last one, is there something you need to get off your chest? There's something that's been really bothering you. And all this time you've been thinking, you know what, if I just suppress it, if I just keep it down like a heartburn, it will go away. That heartburn will never go away. It's going to come up at some stage. And it's going to come up with a vengeance. So is there something that you need to bring up? And when you do bring it up, do it in a loving and gentle way. Don't point fingers. Don't be harsh. In a loving way. Bring it to someone and say, can we talk? This is what I think. This is what I felt. This is how I experienced it. Help me understand why. Lord Jesus, we pray for your help. We pray for unity in the church. We pray for us to focus on the speck in our own eye, but also to look at the plank in our brother's eye. We pray for courage to have these difficult conversations with brothers and sisters. We pray that you would help us to repent, convict us, to repent of the sin that leads to disunity. Help us to not gossip with one another, but to be part of the solution. Help us to agree to disagree agreeably in a loving and gentle way, accept one another's differences. But help us to realize that we have an enemy that's trying to create more division amongst us as a family. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep the main thing, the main thing which is to love people the way you have loved us. To seek to grow your kingdom by telling people about you and to love and serve them. We know we can't do this in our own strength. Pray for your spirit 
to enable us and empower us to have these difficult conversations and to bring back unity and to be able to repent of our sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.